Hey, film friends. It has been four long months, but I am ready to start a new season full of ambition and lofty goals. Tonight's going to be a little tamer. If you click the link, you know what we're watching. I found a voice of authority, to say the least. Christopher M. Walsh is a Chicago actor. He's starring in the production The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, starting October 3rd through October 27th at the Steppenwolf Theater. For tickets and information, you can go to the steppenwolftheater.org. But enough of that. Let's start the show. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. To infinity and beyond. You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? Let's put a smile on that face. They call me Mr. Tips. Hey, Vasquez. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? There's no crying in baseball. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Yippee guy, motherfucker. Get away from her, you bitch! Keep a change, you filthy animal. So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah! What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Hey, Film Files. Welcome back to the first episode of the fifth season of Movie Show Theater. Oh my God, we haven't been canceled because I pay a subscription to SoundCloud so they can't cancel me. But this is great. If you're just listening to this for the first time, this is a great time to start listening. We're going to do things a little bit differently than we have in past seasons. I've been able to invest in some portable equipment to have like a podcast on the go of sorts. And we're going to find some people in the Chicago area who just kind of feel geeky about movies the way that we feel about movies. So it's our quest to find uh, fellow geeks, and we're very excited about it. But tonight is also very special for us. We have some new guests, some old guests, and some original gangster guests. So we'll go around the room and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Chris Walsh. I'm a playwright and actor in Chicago, and I'm excited to be here. Hey, it's me, Joey. I'm uh, back for more. (laughs) It's great to be back. Thank you, Jimmy. You're welcome. My name's Stuart. I'm a teacher. English, but I'm also a film file, so thanks for having me back. Yeah, that's right. We got Stu back from uh, good old Germantown. You got it. So it's been like four months since we've recorded. Is there any movies that have like really stuck out besides Black Panther that you guys have watched? Or maybe you didn't like Black Panther. I don't know. We I don't liked, have to focus on that. I really liked Black Panther. I thought, I thought Black Panther was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. good. Yeah, I did too. I watched it when I needed a break from superhero movies in general, and it was like one of those arm cross, like, fine, I'll fucking watch it already. And holy shit, that was great. That was like a precedent-setting film on on many levels. Not going to lie, I like Deadpool 2 better. Oh, really? I didn't see that. I I Uh, agree with that. Very funny. Very good. Yeah, I heard the original plot that Ryan Reynolds had submitted to the studios because they gave him, like, total control of story. 
And he said the yep. main overarching plot of the film was that he needed to steal the red chair from the voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah, they nixed that one. Uh, we watched some of the better ones were um, a Joaquin Phoenix movie called We Were Never Really There. It was interesting. Uh, Quiet Place, of course. Most, oh, yeah. most of us saw that was really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're talking about <laughs> tonight. Tonight, we're talking about some movie that came out this year. We picked Annihilation. Uh, it was ultimately chosen by Chris. This is part of... Well, you know what? Let me... I'll pass it over to Chris, and he can kind of explain why he thought this might be an interesting choice for a podcast. Sure. Yeah, Annihilation is a film by Alex Garland, who previously did Ex Machina. It's a science fiction adaptation of a best-selling novel, the first of a trilogy that came out uh, in... 2015 I think maybe a little later than that and yeah I was excited to uh, get a chance to talk about it because I was a huge fan of the book uh, and was thrilled when I found out A, that they were making a film adaptation and B, that Alex Garland was doing it because I think he's kind of brilliant. So yeah, that's why I was excited to get a chance to talk about it today because as adaptations go I think it's an interesting study in what doesn't doesn't make a good adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Alex Garland has worked with Danny Boyle a bunch. He wrote uh, The Beach. He wrote 28 Days Later. He wrote Ex Machina, as as Chris mentioned, and directed that as well. And he wrote Sunshine. I thought there was a fourth book that Danny Boyle and Alex Garland did together. Anyway, yeah, we watched Annihilation. And obviously, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Annihilation, you're going to have a bad time during this podcast because there's going to be some deep spoilers here. So... Generally, when you watch a science fiction movie, there's like one of four tropes that you're going to fall into. It's going to be like, we were going here, but we found this beacon coming from over there. And then we found this ship and it looks like it's been untouched and the electricity somehow works. Or it's like we found this organism. Let's take care of it. You know, so anytime there's a science fiction movie that like breaks the mold of what you normally see, I'm normally willing to like forgive a lot, i.e. passengers. Totally. <laughs> May I just ask a question before we get into the discussion? Was I supposed to have read a book before we no, started no, no. this podcast? I've actually never <laughs> read a book. Was there homework that I was not informed of? No, no. Okay. I wanted I wanted to have somebody who had read the book because yeah. a screenplay is like 120 pages. A book is like 500 pages, like the average, you know, novel. Yeah. To be fair, the, the novel version of Annihilation is pretty short for a novel. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's going to be things that are that are left out. There's certain things that when you read them in a book versus like having a visual picture, like tell you what somebody looks like, as opposed to like letting you imagine what somebody looks like. There's always, you know, there's sometimes a disconnect, but I just thought Annihilation was, I I don't think studios like you to leave the movies feeling like a dum-dum. And I think that's why this movie got some flack because I remember it was called Too Intellectual, Uh, Which it is deep. I'm not like, you know, I'm not coming from a place of arrogance and pretension. Like it is a it is a heavy movie, but there's elements that are like definable. They are in there and they're not really up for debate. And then there's other things like and Natalie Portman at the end. Was it her mimic or was it really her? And I kind of viewed the shimmer as like a tumor on the surface of the earth. You know, and that kind of helped me understand things a little better. Yeah. 
you know? That's really interesting. I definitely felt like a dum-dum at the end of this movie. But I've been watching a lot of uh, Twin Peaks lately, so, like, it, yeah. it eased me into this a little bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, I wasn't, like, as offended by it if I had been, like, going into it, like, without already had, like, been in this weird place of not understanding anything that, that, that I'm watching. But uh, but I like that. I like trying to, like, like having to, like, decode and, and think about, like, the endings of movies like that. But I can see, like, also, like, the studio side of things where they're like, how are we going to market this movie to anybody? Yeah. Because, it, like, the ending really doesn't make sense on, on first viewing. I mean, I just watched it this morning, so I'm still obviously, like, processing it and thinking about it. But, yeah, like you said, the immediate question is, like, what is up with that ending? Like, what is going on with yeah. Natalie Portman and, and Poe Dameron? Forgive me. I He's don't always know his real name. <laughs> He is so fucking good in everything. Yeah, he really is. So, Stu, what was your first uh, initial reaction as the credits were rolling? At the end or the beginning, because I can say a couple of things about the end. I think that, honestly, it, it seems to me like it was like Aliens meets Hellraiser meets, I don't know, 2001 A Space Odyssey meets What Dreams May Come. You know what I mean? I watched it's that movie. Hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, like that's a mashup fair. of all these different films that ultimately it leaves you guessing, which is great. But when you first see Natalie Portman in the interrogation room, of course, by Wong, a.k.a. from uh, Doctor Strange, uh, <laughs> it, it was interesting. It, it definitely left a lot of questions. And I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those that if you don't like movies like that, you're never going to like this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like the all-female cast, where, like, a male never came to any but any female's rescue, I feel like is very rare these days. Like, we, we mentioned Passengers already, mm-hmm. and a lot of people... I really, really liked that movie, but I didn't like how at the oh, end... you're the one. He came back. Yeah, right, exactly. He's the one that came back and had to, like, be the hero. Like, they really don't want a female to, like, come to her own aid in a film. And, I mean, it's just part of that, like, patriarchy, whatever. But I, it seemed like every character that went in there had a reason for, like, going in there. You know, like, they all kind of had a death sentence. Like, she, Natalie Portman had the guilt. There was the junkie. There was the cutter. There was the woman that had cancer. And Oscar Isaac knew about this affair. And Natalie Portman maybe knew that he knew. But, like, I think that that was probably his motivation for going into the shimmer. Like... I'm okay dying because, you know, she she didn't even like the guy. It didn't seem like, you know, like she had, she, the guy she was having the affair yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she, they had great chemistry. She obviously loved Oscar Isaac and she like fucked it all up with this guy that like, she doesn't really care that much about. So, you know, you have to like have a kind when you go into the shimmer, you're kind of signing a death sentence. Like m- nobody has come out of this thing yet. Uh, I was uncertain about the, the affair though. Was the affair when he was in the Shimmer, or was the affair before? No, That's what I was wondering. Because was the same, both. the timeline was a little sketchy there. Yeah, you know? you're right. My impression was that the affair started before Oscar Isaac's character went into the Shimmer, but continued after, and then she eventually called it off once she realized that she didn't think Oscar Isaac's character was coming back. Yeah, like, once he was presumed dead, he, like, the professor, like, came to her aid for, like, a source of comfort. But there was a really hard scene when they were, like, in bed together, and you could tell that he knew, and I think that was the day that he was going off to the Shimmer, like, or to investigate or whatever. Yeah, when he tells her that, that he's, that cause she thought he was leaving the next day, and then he yeah. says, no, I'm going today, and yeah, she figures out from the way he's acting that he knows what's up. yeah. And 
I don't think they really say that, like, when he goes in, if it was already known as this, like, death acid trip. I don't know if they already knew that it was, like, that deadly of a place. You know, I don't know if when he he went in, he knew that he was probably not going to come back. Was he the first team? Like, how many people had been into the Shimmer before? I don't know if they really specify. The movie doesn't. Uh, The book is is really specific. In the book, it's four women, uh, none of whom are ever named. The main character is just the biologist. Oh. Uh, and then there's a psychologist, an anthropologist, and a surveyor. Those are the four main characters. They're the only speaking characters in the book. Uh, wow. Because there is nothing, no action in the book takes place anywhere but outside of, in the book it's referred to as Area X. They yeah. The shimmer is a thing that was invented for the movie. And you know in the book they go in thinking that they're the 12th expedition and that the biologist's husband was a member of the... 11th expedition okay and what you find out in the book and spoilers for a five-year-old book i was just gonna start it tonight <laughs> i know well it's worth it you find out that the husband's expedition was like 11.9 a and that there'd actually been multiple iterations of every version of the expedition and there'd actually been you know, oh my dozens God. of them yeah. and they you know some people had come back but others had not and the people who had had been changed in the book the husband did come back but then dies of cancer so there is no oh. husband waiting for her. Uh, and she figures out over the course of the novel that her husband, in fact, never came back. And that the person who returned from the expedition was something else. God, how do you show that on screen? Well, yeah. And this is kind of why I'm fascinated to talk about this. Because having been a huge fan of the novel before I saw the movie, I feel in some ways I kind of understand why Stephen King hates The Shining. Yeah. Because while I think The Shining and I think Annihilation are both fantastic movies, they are terrible adaptations of their source material. That's why I'm just fascinated by this movie, because it's it's definitely in the same genre. It's definitely in that weird fiction place where sci-fi and horror and fantasy intersect. Mm -hmm. And that's my favorite thing. I love it. The very basic premise is the same. Like, the stories kind of start the same, where... Okay, it's a team of women. And really in the book, the team happens to be women. They don't really go into detail about why. But it's this team of women who are all experts in their field who go on this expedition into this mysterious area that has been uh, rapidly changing uh, the wildlife in, this, in the surrounding area. And that's it. Where did this actually take place, do you believe? I, I was getting a strong Maine feeling. The author, uh, Jeff Vandermeer, lives in Florida, and he based it uh, specifically on a place that he goes hiking uh, near where he lives. Which has, like, I did some Google imaging, and there's, like, a giant lighthouse there. Yeah. Something that I really liked about this, though, is that there's this whole, like, creepy subgenre of horror that's, like, specifically called body horror. It's not a new thing, but it's, like, as humans, we know where hands and feet are supposed to be and like where eyeballs are supposed to be. So when those aren't there, we're just disturbed, (laughs) you know, whether it's the fly or invasion of the body snatchers or like the thing or aliens, you know, like human centipede would be a big one where like we know how human anatomy should be or the creature from Pan's labyrinth with the eyeballs in his hands. Mm -hmm. That's not a gory thing to see because there's no blood, but just the fact that like, we know where eyeballs are supposed to be, and it's not in his somebody's fucking hands. Uh, I think that automatically, it just puts you in a very weird headspace. 
in this movie you're talking about like what the guy's intestines moving around and yeah like, the, the, fact the that intestines yeah. and like you know that beautiful scene when like the weeds are growing out of that girl's track marks oh yeah mm-hmm. just thought that was like so just poetically just gorgeous um but was like that, shark were those track marks though she was, oh, the was cutter, she the cutter she was the cutter she was the cutter yeah. i'm yeah. sorry yeah 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 but like yeah the, the intestines attic. that were squirming around and that fucking bear scene oh my god <laughs> where the bear is screaming in shepherd's voice yeah that was that's outrageous we're like terrifying. that was one that was one of the most uncomfortable scenes yeah. that i've ever seen in a movie that's a scene that I mean, maybe it's explained better in the book, but the more I thought about it, they're talking about how light and sound are refracted in the shimmer, and so is human DNA. And so I, this is not my uh, scope of practice, but I think when you start talking about like DNA being spliced into other people in other ways, I can logically define it and give explanation for it, but I can't predict <laughs> how it's going to be manifested. Did Shepard's conscious did she transfer to the bear and so now like the bear is his roar is now her last sounds as she was getting ripped apart at first i thought it was I, mimicking her as a way of luring that's in that's what i thought prey like yeah. the predator right yeah that's what i thought too. i yeah. thought it was a cool twist that it was actually she had bonded with the creature in some way like in her final moments like that part of her was living transferred over to the creature yeah and just that part of her yeah that was screaming for help yeah the bear is like i think the bear was like a tortured soul right so like that's another part of the body horror is the at the element of um the grotesque Hellraiser. You know? or like yeah or i was thinking like quasimodo or even like mary shelley's frankenstein oh that kind of tortured soul sorry where like this bear <laughs> i mean and the bear was malevolent for sure you know absolutely i wanted to think that the whole premise of you know what is the significance it is alien we do we do know that but like what is their end game like what are they trying to do they're not destroying anything they're changing everything but are they changing everything for the better or are they changing everything for the bad or is it even specified and there's a pieces of evidence like the bear was obviously there to fuck shit up like the bear was not provoked it wasn't like maybe it's good but then we fucked it up Mm -hmm. because Usually these kind of movies focus on, like, how we fucked ourselves up, you know? Because, like, self-destruction is kind of, like, a big theme of the movie. Totally. Yeah. But it also has, like you are saying, this whole trying to determine, you know, if is it aliens? Are they malevolent? Are they not? Do they even care? It's very much, it's got a lot of qualities that are similar to, uh, like, H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this cosmic horror element of uh, these basically there being entities or powers or technology or whatever that are just so far advanced. Uh, or so much bigger than humans can comprehend that whatever it does, it's not even necessarily intended to be malevolent. It's just going to squash whatever in its way because mm-hmm. it doesn't even realize it's there. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't so have big. A- objectives. Yeah, it doesn't have objectives, but it's just, it's whatever it is, it's, it's so big and ancient and cosmic or whatever that mm-hmm. human psychology can't even wrap its brain around it and people who attempt to will go mad and that sort of yeah, thing. That's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because they keep asking her over and over in the movie, like, are, is it here to harm us? Is it here to help us? Uh-huh. And she just keeps saying, like, and no, it drives it's here to crazy. change. Yeah. yeah, one thing that I really liked about Arrival is when Jessica's Chastain is, like, getting into the idea of, like, you know, Indiana's. they're writing letters to it and they're like, it doesn't understand our language. I don't get it. And she's like, 
what makes you think that it knows what language is, yeah. you know, and, and just like a completely new way of thinking. So we start thinking about annihilation, like what was its goal? It's like maybe it's so far beyond like, you know, it's not a simple plot. Like their goal is not a plot device that we're used to seeing. But that ending, I was like totally madly in love with the movie. And then the ending, it took me a little while to make my peace with it because I just thought it was so what the fuck that I was like, okay. I, it, it seemed like an afterthought. I think they should have left the ending right when she escaped from the, the lighthouse, almost, you know? And just let us make up what happens at the end. It should have been kind of a cliffhanger rather than, a, oh, it was them trying to invade us all along, you know? And quite honestly, it, it seemed more of a alien invasion sort of thing later in the movie anyway, particularly with the pool and that gruesome diorama on the side of the pool or whatever that was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the, the, the skeleton that it had obviously been pulled apart and the skull, and there was obviously something that was alive that had done this. You know, is it a parasite? Is it, is it just trying to survive? I mean... What is it, you know? Yeah. And I think, really, they kind of skirted over that at the end, but I think they came really close to the a good point when it was not attacking but mimicking Natalie Portman's character, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was it was truly a mirror image of her character. So whatever she did, it did. So it begs a question. Was it malevolence or was it purely curious and didn't know how? Yeah, it was like a child. Yeah, yeah, truly childlike. Yeah, the ending with the seeing the, the the shimmer reflected in their in their irises very much gave me this sort of dun 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 feeling that that's what they were going for, mm-hmm. and I think you were supposed the to insh- the Inception ending. Yeah, I, th- I think well, kind of the opposite in a way. Like they were they 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 tried to actually give you an answer. So how does the book like, end? Huh? Huh. The book ends well because the book again is is, is it the, the first? first of a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it ends on a much more uh, kind of nebulous point where nebulous. Uh, she, uh, the biologist, uh, Natalie Portman's character, uh, chooses uh, not to go back to the real world. She just, once she's figured out that her husband stayed behind and it might be somewhere within Area X, she decides to find out what happened to him. So she, instead of, and there's, there's a lengthy explanation of how she figures out how she could leave because the plots diverge so quickly from the the point of, from the beginning that it wouldn't really even make sense to explain it. But she, yeah, she never actually goes back. Um, and then when you get into the sequels, you find out that a uh, cloned version of her created by Area X did show up. And for a while, nobody knows that it's her. That's where some of the plot details about uh, the psychologist character, Jason, mm-hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee's character, comes in you don't find out until the second book that she had cancer and also that she ran the organization that was investigating in the first place none of that comes up in the first book these are all details you find out in subsequent books which uh which brings up a, a point i feel like should be mentioned which is that uh, alex garland claimed making the movie he'd never read the sequels he had gotten an advanced copy of the first book and liked it and, and dove in which is why he never noticed because it didn't get mentioned until the sequels that the main character, the biologist, is supposed to be Asian American, uh, and the psychologist is supposed to be half Native American. And there was a, he got a lot of flack for 
casting two white actors in those roles. And his, his explanation was, well, I didn't read those books. And I have to kind of call bullshit because <laughs> he includes some details specifically about the psychologist character that he could only have gotten from reading the sequels. Oh, wow. Maybe he got uh, the Cliff okay. Notes version. That, which <laughs> I guess so, but I... I Googled it. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's it, like, it I never said me. I didn't Google it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I interject for a second? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I just found it kind of amazing because it seems to me that in almost all movies like this where there's there's high suspense and possible, you know, uh, drama and the strongest character ends up being a Latina uh, lesbian character. <laughs> That is often the case. It's the way it should be. And and <laughs> I, I'm not complaining about it, but it like seems Vasquez that way to me. And, and it was again in this where again, a white she woman seemed playing to be Latina. the strongest yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, and the most determined to survive. Although up until the point where the bear starts screaming in Shepard's voice, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she held it together up to then. And then she had her jaw ripped off. So, Yeah, you're talking about Gina Rodriguez's character? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that was it was interesting because that again in the book, her character, well, all of the characters that weren't the biologist or the psychologist were completely different. There were in fact only two characters, so it's it, you, you can't really compare them to how they were written in the in the book. Uh, but yeah, that is a kind of a trope that uh, it is a trope. Yeah. yeah, white women just aren't strong. They can be the leaders I- in the movies. <laughs> I, I also say that with confidence because my wife, my wife is a, a strong, strong, powerful Latina woman who don't need no man. She just Absolutely. keeps she don't me need around. No man. She don't need no man, you, but she yeah. keeps me around, which is awesome. Um, I have a question about. So, is to you guys thematically, is there a reason why it's a team of only women and no men? I understand like the reasons in like in the movie universe why these people are going in there, but like thematically, in terms of like maybe in the book, does it explain it more? But, like, why just women? Well, so far it had only been men that went in the shimmer, so maybe they were just, like, narrowing down, like, fuck it, let's try some chicks. <laughs> what else? Let's throw some chicks in there, see if that After matters. After this one, it's, like, dogs and roosters. And yeah. Just like, we've roosters was the next yeah. team. Right. <laughs> they never specifically said, though, that there were only men. They said they were mostly men. Uh, like, yeah, it could have been they, a, they mixed, really a mixed crew that went in, but this is a full female crew that goes in. So that could be a whole different you know, scenario. Which, honestly, is, is something that I really admire about the movie, is the fact that, no, they, they don't bother to explain that there's a specific reason why they chose all women for this thing. Absolutely. Because that's just not important. The, the point was they found the five people who they needed for this mission, and it was these five people, and, and off they went. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I like the movie for that reason, that they didn't feel the need to draw attention to or explain that there's a special reason why this group is special and why it can only be this particular group is just, no, these are the right people for this particular thing that we're trying to do. So I like that. The book does get into it a little bit more that it is the first group that has been all women and that the previous group had been all men, but missions had been various combinations up until that point. But it was, they didn't really get into it a whole lot in the books, just like, like, because everything they'd tried had failed. It was kind of a, well, let's try this. <laughs> and so they put together a team of women for that, that that particular expedition. Yeah, I like that they don't explain it. Yeah. But I don't think I, that there's any per se benefit to it other than like, you know, aside from Natalie Portman's story. I mean, I think they could have been interchanged with men and it could, could have played out the same way, except for the woman 
that lost the daughter because I think that's a special bond and I think that's a maternal conflict that couldn't be interchanged with like a male's role. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of presupposing that that you know men in action films is a default. Yeah, uh, that I think people are consciously trying to break away from, and I applaud that. I yeah, think it's totally. a, a good thing to break the mold and get away from movies that we've seen countless versions of for the last hundred years. Yeah, uh, so it's a Vasquez yeah. situation, like you were saying, Joey. It's Vasquez situation. You ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? This is John Connor's stepmom. <laughs> yeah, classic yeah. aliens <laughs> line. Classic. That was uh, John Connor's stat. She was a white woman. That, doesn't that blow your mind? Oh, shit. Yeah, right. That's nuts. Your foster parents I don't, are dead. I don't, I don't <laughs> What's know wrong with Wolfie? <laughs> Natalie Portman was talking to all of them, and uh, she doesn't say spouses. She says partners oh, at yeah. one point. Oh, yeah. I think she does. And I, I, had, to, I had to write that down real quick because <laughs> I was like, yeah, again, she is this film is recognizing that the word spouse inherently connotates man and woman versus partner which could be anything yeah you know that is and i thought that was really an interesting twist uh in in this movie but uh it it, and honestly it's a good thing because we all need to start thinking that way yeah absolutely yeah, it's. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a fan of the Marvel movies because I just they're fine. Uh, I don't go. I just don't go to my way for them. But I I really enjoyed uh, Black Panther, and it wasn't that there was anything particularly different about the movie, but it was really exciting to see a completely different group of characters that I normally get to see doing these same you know fulfilling these same roles that you uh, I've gotten used to the regular group of people doing yeah um and for the same reason that you know you know seeing wonder woman which was an entirely adequate movie uh but there was you know there was a the i love your review adequate. wonder woman entirely <laughs> adequate yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a movie you know the, four stars the good, the good parts of that movie are fantastic yeah uh and specifically like you know when she when she jumps into no man's land and then all of the other men yeah. jump in behind her i felt my brain go like split into two halves and go, I've seen this bit a million times. And the other half go, I have never seen this specific thing before. Yeah. And, and I find that exciting that there's, you know, and then with annihilation, I feel like is, is another progression Mm -hmm. in that, that it's, you know, it's this movie that doesn't feel the need to even address the fact that you're not watching the gender roles that you normally associate with this kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely, you, and you don't have to. They they don't ask you to understand it, or and they don't bother to explain it. And if you're paying attention, you'll f- quickly come to the point where it's like, oh, that part's not what's important about this story. Yeah, we shouldn't recognize it as like, whoa, five females. It should be commonplace, you know. Like it shouldn't be like they market it as what's five this? females. Yeah, <laughs> Ocean's Eight with women. Uh, right. Yeah, which I did see, and it was fine. Was it fine? It was totally fine. <laughs> but that was almost to get it. Yeah. They're all women. 
It's like just just let them do their thing. They're not don't like. I it's just, like they're like, they're like yeah. novelties. I feel like the choice in in this movie is very very far removed from the choice to make like a, an all female Ghostbusters. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. the just the overall intention is completely different. Yeah, and, like, and I with, think in the sci the science fiction genre too because yeah, like you mentioned totally. with aliens with what you know there was uh, Ripley who. I think is the strongest female character in science fiction film. I mean, Princess Leia, she had a lot of lines, but she was usually saved by a man, and she was usually yeah. doing something for a man. And uh, Well, I would debate that. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars is Chris's thing, so I do need yeah. to tread lightly. She straight up <laughs> killed Jabba the Hutt, strangled him with the chains that she was enslaved with, Jimmy. True. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll Luke step and Han my... broke her out of the out of the cell, but she had to actually save them from that point on. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I may. I, I will I, fight uh... you to the death. <laughs> Chris is standing up. We gotta go. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought I thought that was I thought that was a cool choice, and I just love the ambiguous ending. Mm-hmm. I personally think that her mimic is the one that got out. And the actual Natalie Portman died in the fire. Oscar Isaac admits that, you know, we know he's the shimmer version. He's the mimic. And so I just like the idea of Natalie Portman being the mimic. And, like, they both have the same bond. They both look like each other. They both, like, they know they feel very strongly for whatever reason, but they don't remember the affair. They don't remember these negative connotations that their marriage had taken. So it's they get to, like, start over. I just, I think there's, like, some romantic beauty in that i think i didn't think that she was the shimmer version of herself really that wasn't my interpretation i I thought that like the shimmer itself had had altered her dna to a point where she came out and she had like like just because the shimmer was destroyed the shimmer's effect on her wasn't wiped away completely like she's whatever i I agree i agree with that absolutely yeah that was my impression as well my, my question is this, is this the beginning of an invasion, or is this a... I know there are other books in the series, but is this a uh, an introduction to an alien species reaching out? I guess, uh, I mean, I've not read them, I didn't know they were books, I'll be honest. I'm an English teacher, and I should probably have known <laughs> that, but you know, hey. But uh, again, I, I guess... I'll throw that out there one more time. Uh, is this an invasion, or is this a peace officer offering, or is this them not just knowing uh, how to communicate with us? I think that's a super interesting point because if you look at colonialism or like imperialism to take it in a direction that they probably didn't intend, but just to like talk about like trying to impose what you think is better on like you know this alien race coming, and maybe they, they think they're changing us for the better, but we don't want it. You know, we don't we don't want their version of better. And that kind of like mirrors like, you know, America trying to impose democracy or going back and like just like that sort of thing is like trying to impose your rule on something else. Like that's how I look at it. So even if they are trying to be peacekeepers, it's not necessarily the change that we want. Like to us, it's a threat. Or are they just letting us destroy ourselves? Yeah, they know that self-destruction is like part of our human nature. That's why I kind of interpreted that Natalie Portman her mimic was at the end because it kind of fulfilled that theme of self-destruction and like, you know, she was kind of teaching her shimmer how to do things. It would only hurt her when she first tried to hurt it. So at the end, when she gives it that phosphorus grenade and it blows up, I guess the eye glow at the end, that's when I was like, oh, okay, she's, it's, her, it's her shimmer. But they weren't clear on that. 
I mean, that's what I think is up for interpretation. I I think she was infected with the shimmer, but I don't think she was a doppelganger. I okay. think that was actually her. And I think we have reason to believe that somebody could be themselves based on the whole scene in the, the recording where the guy cut his gut open inside of him was something else. Obviously something else. Was that an anatomically correct depiction of what happens when you cut somebody's... Yes, it looked like they opened around. a little door and it was just like, <laughs> hello. If you turn it up real yeah. loud, you can actually hear a creak when they open up his stomach. I was like, is that it? Is that?" But I did love how Oscar Isaac had a southern accent at the last scene, too. What was that about? That was perplexing. Yeah. Like that was just DNA that had like that had been transferred from one of his other team members must is have had that a southern what that is? Yeah, because she Natalie Portman has a tattoo in the interrogation scene, but through the whole movie she doesn't have a tattoo. But her friend has a tattoo at the same point, and it's a tattoo of a snake and the infinity symbol eating its own tail, which is like I think she's had that the entire time though, Jimmy. I was keeping track of that actually, and it was always there. I really believe it was always there. Gonna have to watch it again now. Yeah. yeah, I thought that I'd read that, yeah, that was right? one of the one of the transfers, one of the clues. Because at the beginning, when he comes back and they're sitting at the table, you don't know what's going on yet. But then, even after the movie's over, you can look back at that scene and know like there was still some Oscar Isaac in there. That wasn't like uh-huh. you know a totally starting from scratch alien. And they're they're holding hands through the glass of water, right? And yeah, their hands yeah. are refracted. Oh, eh? yeah, good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They came back to that a couple of different times throughout the film, though. Yeah. You know, where they would set the water down and it would separate. Yeah. I like your version of the endings, too. That's what I'm going to adapt. I I like the idea that, like, she is fucked up from her experience, but she's she's not an alien doppelganger. I really don't believe she is. I think she is who she is, but she is definitely infected with whatever was in there. Yeah. And, you know, all the other women died and she didn't. And, like, she came back because she's, it seemed like she was the only one who had a reason to come back. The girl who was cutting herself that gave herself to the tree people, that was, like... Absolutely. That was the only option for her. Like, that's the most beautiful ending. But Natalie Portman, she wasn't ready to have her ending. She had a reason to come back. The same way that Oscar Isaac had a reason to come back. Right? That, yeah, well, I would agree he, with that. He, he My, had a reason to come back, but was it him? That's the question, you know? Right. And then when you see what happens to him in the scene in the lighthouse, it's completely not him, and we know it's not. Right, because he, tell, he tells us it's not. Go find my wife. Yeah. Yeah, I I do like the idea, and I, I it's really just, and part of it is just the way that it's shot, is that, that the, the, the light in their eyes that you see is so sinister that I would have been happier if they'd, Kind of like you said, Stu, I, like if they just cut it a little, like a, a couple seconds earlier, I, the last line of dialogue, the question is, are you you? And the response is, I don't know. And that would have been a, you know, so pleasantly ambiguous to leave a note to leave it on that I would have been much happier mm-hmm. because that, but it also gives you even more options because is it them, but they're so psychologically damaged by their experience that they don't know who they are anymore? Or are they, in fact, something different? Or are they infected? You know, there's all kinds of options where doing that thing with their eyes cuts off certain options and makes it very specific that, no, it's definitely it's part of the shimmer and that there's, mm-hmm. there's something sinister happening. Did, did he say, I don't know, or did he say, I don't think so? 
I thought it was I don't know, but now I don't remember. I think it was I don't think so, which is even more telling. Yeah, it's an even weirder answer. Because that just screams that whatever this thing is is not only intelligent, but it it's trying to come to grips with this new form that it's in, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm your husband, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that grotesque thing on the side of the pool, it kind of seemed yeah. like it might have been some sort of, like, failed biology experiment. You know, like, maybe they're <laughs> trying different things, and by the end, Oscar Isaac is... He knows that there's things in him that, like, aren't from him. He's like, well, I got... Henry's accent, I got Jacob's curly red pubic hair, I got Jake's toe, (laughs) I woke up and I have Jonathan's eyeball, like, I don't fucking know who I am anymore. Like, I know I'm me, I think I know I'm me, I just, I think that that's such a fascinating, I think they were just experimenting on us. Yeah, I I really, I think that's, that's an apt description, yeah. Back to the cancer theme, maybe the, the past missions and the past men that have died represent, like, failed treatment options. I don't know. Well, you know, it, it strikes me is that the being is not initially hostile. Right. In any way, shape, or form. It's the other animals that it's infected that become hostile. The alligator, the bear, you know, uh, the very trees themselves, they lash out in a way. So I, my thought is is that, again, they don't know how to react. Right. They They're in don't the same place as the humans and, are. And when the previous missions went in, you got to know that these were not the most intellectual guys necessarily. They might have had one or two in there that were, you know, pretty intellectual, maybe doctors or something. But these were guys who thought with their arms and the legs and their dicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Military grunts. Military grunts who went in, you know, they were there to kick ass and chew bubblegum and they were all out of bubblegum. <laughs> so, yeah. Bunch of Roddy Roddy Pipers in there. Exactly. I would pay to see that movie. I also was just thinking <laughs> I would love to see that movie. It would be very different. <laughs> but, yeah. But great. The, the, the end of this movie, I had the same feelings as the end of Arrival. When I was like, what I just watched was very important, very monumental, very interesting, and fucking awesome, and I'm not sure that I understand yeah. a, a lot of it. Arrival was a little <laughs> exactly. more... Arrival like left you scratching your head for sure, but like I felt like it was a little more straightforward. This one, I was definitely like, "What just happened? Like, and, and what? Like, am I supposed to take it at face value, or is this about something deeper?" And you were talking, Chris, about like the the adaptation, like the book versus the movie, mm-hmm. and you brought up like The Shining, where the book is pretty straightforward and the movie takes things to like a whole different level there's there's a movie about the movie at this point about the symbolism and right. did you is that the same here because you've read the book where like is the book just pretty much more space values sci-fi no i mean the, the book is its own style is its own batch of weird it's really just like like the plot itself goes in a completely different direction there's a whole weird uh, thing with the uh, they find this tunnel that goes into the ground that they that seems like an inverted tower because there are stairs and there's a whole subplot with the the lighthouse keeper who is still alive but not really sort of and is existing in this odd nebulous thing uh, existence within this t- a tunnel and the, there's this whole thing where uh, 
psychologist, uh, Natalie Portman's character early on, she accidentally inhales some spores uh, and gradually over the course of the story begins emitting light from her body and has a hard time understanding what that's about. And then the title actually comes from a thing that's going on where it, it tur- turns out that the psychologist has the other members of the team hypnotized and that if things go horribly wrong, they've been hypnotized to, uh, if they hear the word annihilation, to kill themselves. And that's, wow. that's where the title comes from. Is that's that, a big part that was left out of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah which, they, which I found the, the explanation from Ventress very interesting. Suicide versus self-destruction. Yeah. Most people don't... Con- commit suicide they are self-destructive you know and and i found that fascinating absolutely fascinating because she idea is so spot on most people are not truly suicidal just through their behaviors they are just bound to blow up they're self-destructive so yeah that was very telling but that yeah that's uh, that detail is very specific to the movie though so yeah and as far as what is actually happening like where the shimmer comes from first of all the term shimmer doesn't appear in the book even after the end of the third book there's less information about what's happening mm-hmm. than there is in at the end of the first movie right but the way the way the movie diverges from the plot like it would make no sense to try to follow the storyline right. if, if there was to make if they were to make a sequel a sequel to the film Annihilation, I don't see how it could possibly have anything to do with the books that are that came out. I can't imagine the job of taking the first book of a trilogy and turning it into a standalone film. And to still <laughs> make sense and to give it enough closure, but kind of leave it open-ended? I don't know. But we're just about at the end of our hour, so that's about it from us. Of course, you can get all of our past episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes. We are going to be doing RoboCop next. Yeah. Uh, follow. <laughs> yeah, we are. Stu and, and Chris, you're, of course, more than welcome to join us for that. But, Stu, thanks so much for joining us over the airwaves. Well, thank you very much for having me again. Chris, thanks so much for uh, coming out and seeing what we're all about. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Joey, you know how I feel about you. Pleasure is always, Jimmy. Pleasure is all mine. So until next time, this has been Movie Show Theater. Theater.